Hi, and welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, December. I got to make sure I got the right <laughs> month. Wednesday, December 29th. Almost done with 2021. I'm Georgia Purdom here with Roger Patterson and Jennifer Rivera, and we have a wonderful studio audience joining us. So make yourselves known. Come on, let's hear it. Awesome. We've got thousands of people visiting um, the Ark and the museum uh, during our Christmas Town and Christmas time, and um, which is the last day is tomorrow for that. So if you haven't had an opportunity yes. to come out and do that, your time's almost up. You yep. need to do come it. Come see the lights; they're very beautiful. My family is actually going to come down tomorrow night to mm -hmm. the Ark and uh, see that again. A couple of my kids came down with uh, their community group mm -hmm. a couple uh, a few nights ago, I guess, and enjoyed that. But yeah. we're going to mm -hmm. come down with the family. It's really Tomorrow spectacular. Night. We've had abnormally warm weather here, um, so you don't even have to worry about the cold that much. Yeah. So that's nice. So take advantage of that. All right. We uh, have a couple of things before we get started here. So we are hiring, right? So <laughs> seems like we're always hiring, but um, we're gearing up. Actually, the winter months provide us with a chance to really gear up and get our staff, um, any new staff trained for the coming busy season in the summer. And so, and in the spring. And so, um, if you're looking for a job and you might be interested, you need to go to answersandgenesis.org/jobs. And there's jobs there, not just seasonal jobs that we need for um, the busy months, but also um, full-time jobs, and uh, that we have here at Answers in Genesis, the museum, and the art. So um, take advantage of that. You've got skills. We probably need them in some way, shape, or form. So um, check out that. Also coming up next October, so this is a little bit of time away, but nonetheless, um, start planning for our annual uh, Pastors and Christian Leaders Conference. Next year's theme will be a culture and church in crisis. And so we've certainly experienced that a lot over the last couple of years. And so um, we'll have uh, Owen Strand and we'll talk about um, some of his stuff a, a little bit later, but uh, we also have, and it's one of the Kendrick brothers and I can never remember which one it is. It's either Steven or Alex. So they do the famous movies like War Room, um, Overcomer, and those type fireproof movies. They'll, he'll be here. I think that's Alex um, speaking. And so uh, Ken Ham. So join us for that October 4th through the 6th, 2022. We already have registration live online. All right. So we, I see people getting on here. I saw someone from Switzerland, which is pretty cool. Um, so lots of people joining us from all over the world. So Okay, so our first article is always kind of a fun article because the news is always so super serious, um, and so we want to have something fun. So they have found a millipede that actually breaks the world record for the most legs. So most millipedes do not actually live up to their name. They do not have a 1,000 legs. But this guy has over 1,300 yeah. legs. Up to this point, the most legs that have ever been discovered on a millipede are only 750, so they're not truly a 1,000 legs. But millipedes have, uh, each body segment has a pair of legs on each side, so four legs per segment. And centipedes are different. They only have a pair of legs on each segment, so only two. And these guys grow new segments each year, so they get longer each year. And every different species grows at a different rate. And we can look at each species and tell, um, compared to one another, how old they are by the length of them. So these guys grow deep in these subterranean tunnels and, and caverns, and they're very uh, long and thin, kind of fragile little creatures. And they found them in Australia in old boreholes of mines where they've, they've done boreholes to test for different metals and, and find those things. 
and quite amazing. So scientists are looking for things in interesting places mm -hmm. where we wouldn't be able to normally explore and go find things. And they yeah. found these very cool It's kind cool of neat because they like planted leaf cutting and like vegetation down mm -hmm. in these holes to kind of draw the, you know, the Animal millipedes. Yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of test and see what was down there. And that's how this discovery was made. But I'm going to be honest, if I saw that thing, <laughs> It'd be dead. <laughs> Jennifer does not oh, like it. Okay. I think yeah. they're so cool. I love finding these things out in, in the woods. And I, I love to do this. I'll go be out hiking mm -hmm. with my family and stuff. I stop and take little videos. And he then does. I'll do them for mm -hmm. little things for unlocking mm -hmm. science. Mm -hmm. I make little videos for that for my for my science show. So super cool for me. Yeah. I love doing this. It's, kind of this was found 200 feet below the Earth's mm -hmm. surface. So this thing is like really, really far down there. Um, but again, it's part of... Kind of the circle of life, right? The cycle of life, because it's breaking down things that are there in the rock layers and um, recycling those nutrients so they can be available to other things. And so it's an important part of the uh, design that God has in, that God has put on this earth to be able to make life possible. Because if we didn't have organisms like this, the nutrients would just go in the soil, but they wouldn't be available to us. They wouldn't be in a form that could be yeah. brought up again by plants and then animals that eat Imagine how high the, the leaves would be piled right? up every yeah. year. They'd fall off the trees and just keep piling up and piling up and piling up mm -hmm. because we need organisms like this to mm -hmm. keep recycling all those things. Yeah. So, yeah. so really cool. Maybe we'll find maybe we'll find even bigger ones now. That'd be neat. Okay, fact check. Facebook fact checks are opinions, not facts. Now. I know that yeah because most of us have posted something on Facebook in which we're like why are they putting that little fact check thing by it right and so we all have known this but now it's on officially on record with Facebook who's now calling themselves meta I don't know when the official name change occurs it but was a month or yeah six they'll weeks be known as meta mm -hmm. but um, they said the labels themselves are neither false nor defamatory defamatory to the contrary they constitute protected opinion mm -hmm. yeah so now and we have protecting themselves by a third-party source that they have doing the supposed fact checking so that if you try to you know bring a lawsuit against Facebook like in this case mm -hmm. then they're saying well we didn't fact check that we had this other organization do it and they do it for us yeah so this came out in a lawsuit that was brought by John Stossel and in the reply to this lawsuit, they claim the labels themselves are neither false nor defamatory. To the contrary, they constitute protected opinion. And they were actually given by a different company, Climate Feedback. And these uh, claims were made by this third-party organization and then placed on these posts that John Stossel had, had posted. And so Climate Feedback is not part of meta or part of facebook and so they can't be responsible for them they're an opinion piece made and placed on there by this other group climate feedback and so now facebook isn't responsible for them even though it's a facebook fact check and so there's got to be some layer of accountability here because mm -hmm. they're the ones who are putting this into their algorithm and they're posting it onto these posts and so there's there's some level of responsibility here but here we have a legal document that says these are protected opinions. So every time we see these things pop up now, the Facebook fact checks are really just opinions. 
Well, and everybody, even the fact checkers, are going to have worldviews and they're going to have biases. And wait and a minute, you mean everybody has a bias? Everybody has a bias. Everybody has a worldview, including the fact checkers. And most of the fact checkers groups that they're using are liberal media organizations and nonprofits. They're not anybody. They're well, they're typically not people that most conservatives would be in agreement with. And so they're they're definitely you know doing this in a one very one-sided manner. But at least now we have it on record that they're doing that. And again, it's another example of sort of this idea of false media, you know, that we really need to be watching out for and we need to be really checking the facts ourselves, right? Not depending on other people to do that for us. Okay, somebody on here said, hello from the frozen state of Washington. So Washington, on the other hand, that part of the country is having very, very cold weather, which is abnormal for them, while we have the very, very warm weather. So yeah, we've got people joining from Ohio and Alabama and someone says saludos so somewhere in latin america or somewhere <laughs> and yeah. alaska i suppose they're a little colder than us though not always yeah all right governor christy gnome on new bill to protect girls sports this comes down to fairness so i had just seen someone on here that's from south dakota so this is your governor in south dakota and um so she's spoken about this before she's kind of actually flip-flopped on this quite a bit so i'm glad to see that she has decided that this is hopefully she won't flip-flop anymore that basically in order to have fairness in girls sports we cannot allow biological males to be in girls sports which should be common sense right yeah. I mean, but it's not. Yeah, that that is, kind of sounds like science to me. <laughs> it really does. This, Bingo. this has popped up again with yeah. a, a swimmer recently who's been competing in, uh, I believe it's the University of Pennsylvania, by the name of Leah Thomas. Mm -hmm. But this is a male athlete competing in women's swimming who totally blew away the competition. And what we see here is an individual who was competing as a male athlete and not performing at the top of the sport then transitioned to a female, which really isn't possible. That's a, it's a mythological transition that happens uh, in, our, in our cultural mind only. There's no physical change that happens. It's, it's at most a psychological state of mind that changes. And now this, this individual is competing and winning at these female sports. And it's bringing to, front, to the front this idea that individuals who grow up who uh, physiologically are males have the advantage in in sports of having a body that's grown with all of the male hormones especially testosterone the physical structure of bones and muscles and lungs and heart that develop that way they have that advantage physically over women and that's the fairness issue that uh, governor Nome is calling out here mm -hmm. as you're saying that's really not about the fairness Right. I mean, we would like to see fairness because women have, you know, made long strides in trying right. to, you know, have their own sports arena and have those opportunities to excel in their area. But it's really not about the fairness. Right. right. It's really about just biological science. gender and science and God's design. Well, and I always say this with this particular area of dealing with the transgender issue is, you know, it, it's very anti-science. Like they accuse creationists, people that believe in biblical creation as being anti-science, but they're the ones that are really being anti-science, right? They're saying it's possible for a girl to become a boy and a boy to become a girl, and that we're just supposed to recognize that and be okay with that. Um, and that is not scientific at all. And it's not how, again, God designed male and female separate 
right? Both in the image of God, but separate and distinct and different for a reason. Yeah, and we love to promote resources here because our ministry is about equipping the saints and helping you understand all these issues. One of those resources we would definitely recommend is the Gender and Marriage War. Uh, this book deals with a lot of those issues in our culture, gives you a biblical framework to start thinking about those things. We'd uh, love for you to get a hold of this and uh, help you think through a lot of those issues as you face those things in, in the culture, in your family, in your schools, in church, all of those different avenues that you're going to yeah. come across those things. It's not a controversial title at all. <laughs> so we'd like to do that. All right, water detected below Martian surface, researchers say. So um, this was done by the European Space Agency and the Russian Space Agency. They have a, um, an orbiter there called the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter, and it has the ability to detect hydrogen, and it has done that in the uppermost meter of the plant's soil. And assuming, and this is still an assumption, so assuming that that hydrogen is that they see is bound into water molecules, then they have found a significant source of water, not liquid water, it's probably in the form of ice, but on the surface of Mars. Yeah, the specific the instrument that's used here, I love, the, I love the names people come up for these things. It's the Fine Resolution Epithermal Neutron Detector, or FRIEND. So it's, it's detecting uh, neutron emissions in the surface of the planet and it's detecting hydrogen. There's no doubt it's hydrogen and it's probably a, a signature, chemical signature coming off of a large amount of water. Uh, we know that there's likely water on Mars. It's probably, uh, most of it's in the polar caps at the extreme north and south end. Uh, and we see these large canyon structures and other features that are on Mars that are, were likely caused by water flows at some point in the past. But the whole point from the naturalistic evolutionist perspective of finding water is where there's water, there's life. There's life, and mm -hmm. that's what they're looking for there. What is really neat though is the canyon where they have been studying this is humongous, right? It is much larger than the Grand Canyon, and having been to the Grand Canyon, you stand there and right. it's like, this is just so amazing. This is the size of Netherlands. I mean, you can't even imagine the <laughs> massive, if you really need to explore it though, and hike right. through that and right. uh, be really interesting to see. But And if you're going to, you know, someday they want to have a base on Mars or possibly live on Mars, you're going to have to have a source of water. Now, for anybody who has watched Doctor Who, and you remember the episode about the ice on Mars. Some people are shaking their heads. It's one of the freakiest, craziest episodes I've ever seen. But um, it's cool, right? And they say, don't drink the water on Mars uh, because it would be bad for you um, in so many ways. But nonetheless, we're not talking about science fiction here. And um, it is going to be useful if you want to live there someday. You're going to have to have that, a way to melt it and be able to drink it, obviously. Um, but again, water does not equal life. Just because you have water doesn't mean you're going to have any life there. Um, even though they might like to see that, that's just not reality. All right, so this next title is very much clickbait. Speaking right? of reality. Yeah. <laughs> Scientists say the laws of physics may be changing. Okay, so I read this and I expected to find, as I was reading it, I'm thinking, okay, they're, they're going to tell me there's some evidence that these natural laws that we have, we call natural laws, like the law, the gas laws, and there's, you know, all kinds of physics laws, that they've, they've detected some kind of change. But lo and behold, that's not what they've detected at all. They actually have no evidence of this. But what they're trying to do is basically explain how natural laws have come into existence without a creator, right? Completely naturally, completely on their own. 
And one of the problems that the naturalistic explanation for the origin of the universe has is the Big Bang model has these problems with how did this cosmic egg or this singularity, whatever phrase you want to use to describe it, how did the laws of physics as we know them now work back then? Because all the matter and energy is compressed into this infinitely fine point. We can't have the laws operating in that space as we have today and time couldn't have existed. All these, all these contradictions start to happen. So the laws of physics must have been different then and they're, they're not the same now. Could they have changed in the past? Are they changing in the future? But if they're changing in the future, then that means science isn't going to be possible in the future. And we don't know now what we know then. And all these, all these conundrums start to happen. Mm -hmm. So for the naturalist, this is a real problem. So what these scientists are really doing is they're developing some philosophical thought experiments and trying to understand all of these pieces. So let me read this, this phrase here. We ask whether there might be a mechanism woven into the fabric of the natural world by means of which the universe could learn its laws. If something's going to learn, it has to be conscious. It has to have some, some sentient being there. And that means we're not really dealing with naturalism here. We're dealing with some type of pantheistic religion. So they're giving these, these traits, this ability to learn, this, this sentience to the universe. So we're really stepping out of the realm of science here and moving into philosophy. And we I mean, frequently we talk about the difference between historical science and observational science, and this is far outside the realm of observational science. Completely unobservable, it's not testable, there's no way to verify anything they're talking about in this article. And when they talk about that mechanism that they're looking for, it's so clear to see if you just look to God's Bible, you know, the scripture tells us mm -hmm. clearly that we have a lawgiver who put these laws in place. And that's why we have scientific laws. We can trust those laws, right? They're orderly and we can expect certain outcomes from that. And it's just evidence that we do have a creator. And that's kind of what they're looking for yeah. is that right. source of intelligence and, and this living thing and it's it's impossible i mean even they you know romans 120 says we can know god through what he has created i mean they're looking at this and saying there has to be more than this right that's what they're into but they're trying to explain it completely naturalistically but i see this all the time in nature programs because like because i'm a nerd i was watching a program about fungi the other day um and it was really cool documentary on it but the whole time they keep saying like well that nature is intelligent right nature has an intelligence it and sought a way to yeah, this. it's figured it out a way, a way to, do to do this. this. And yeah. you're just like, and you keep seeing this, like it's very much anthropomorphizing, right? Big word for putting human traits onto nature and saying it done has done this. Um, like I said, there's all kinds of verbs like learn, sought, teach, but it's not, but it, it's not, it's not conscious. It's not ascension being, it's not intelligent, but the God who created it is, right? And that's what they're really getting at without even realizing it. Okay. This next one, ugh, stories like this, I hate to even talk about sometimes. Germany Bible Museum puts on play presenting Jesus as transgender weeks before Christmas. So, Merry Christmas, right? And so, they, basically, this is a Bible museum in Germany called Bible Haas. It's in Frankfurt, Germany. And in order to support the idea that they have, that there are LGBTQ themes in the Bible, um, they have a play that presents jesus as a male who identifies as a female um and there's lots that could be said on this but one of the things that got me was it says that uh, part of the signage of the museum says you are good as you are okay 
Where do we start, right? First of Maybe all, Maybe they haven't been reading the Bible No, I don't think, I think they've just been displaying them and not reading them. So number one, you're not good, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, you're a sinner. You have a sin nature. And secondly, you're, you're not supposed to stay that way, right? I mean, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't want us to stay as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Yeah, think it's about totally Ephesians different. 2, 1 through 10. That's the whole mm-hmm. idea there. We come as sinful, wretched creatures to God and we receive his righteousness and then we grow in holiness uh, through that process of sanctification. So this this whole principle here is so just backward and wrong. And as as I thought about a few of these examples, just thinking about things from the text, if that's the case, you're good as you are and you don't need to change and your gender and however you think about your sexuality is fine then why did Jesus tell the woman who was caught in adultery to go and sin no more? Because she can be whatever sexuality she wants and express that however she wants to. Well, then Jesus is wrong, is what mm-hmm. these people are saying. And Jesus says in Mark 10 that he made them male and female from the beginning. Well, that's a very explicit statement that Jesus makes. Then these people are denying that explicit teaching of Jesus. And so we have to be very careful and very clear about the way we see uh, what God is presenting to us in the text and not twist and pervert those things. And as they talked through uh, the different examples here, they, they mention um, using three different ways to describe how the Bible talks about these things. And they use the goddess Asherah as a positive example of how God is presented in the Bible. And that just blew my mind because is that a positive example? No, that's a false God presented in the Bible. Then they go on to talk about (laughs) the next example they used was um, of a a total blasphemous idea of the individual who wrote this play saying, uh, using the idea, what would Jesus do? Right, that's a that's a helpful way to kind of think through problems and, and ideas, and um, this individual who is a transgender says, "Well, what would Jesus do if Jesus came back to Earth now and was me, a trans woman?" Well, that's total blasphemy because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was not a trans woman. Jesus wouldn't acknowledge those things. And Franklin Graham was uh, responded, like, was, I guess, interviewed for this particular article. And he was, I mean, he just really stated very clearly and concisely the truth of God's word. We were all really impressed with his, uh, you know, comments about this. And he went on to say, he's like, fortunately, we don't have to wonder who Jesus Christ is because God tells us himself in the Bible. When God sent his son on a rescue mission to earth to save us from our sins, he chose to come as a man, Jesus Christ. And the Bible refers to Jesus as a man, as a son of God multiple times there's no question well, he's a prince right he's a king he's the son he's a man right. you know and i always say you know people are all about using other people's preferred pronouns all right well these are gods <laughs> i mean but people don't want to do that right they don't want to use what god gender i mean again calling it this by their terminology, their terminology his preferred yeah. pronouns and his gender identity why why can't we do that when it comes to god they have to morph it into what they want it to be mm-hmm. and that's the sad part but it, it's just true somebody said this is blasphemous and i agree it's absolutely blasphemous to think about this um someone else said they quoted stephen Hawking's, who's a well-known atheist once said because there is a law such as gravity the universe can and will create itself from nothing 
<laughs> but the law of gravity is something. So it's not creating it from nothing, right? It had to and exist so, in the first place yeah. to be able to happen. So he's refuting his own argument by yes, acknowledging there by, was something there yes. in the first place. Yeah, self-refuting argument there. Okay. Did monkeys really sail the oceans on floating rafts of vegetation? Yes, that sounds like a really cool movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's true. And, and uh, I mean, whether be talking about monkeys or what organisms that we're talking about here. But so the problem in evolutionary um, thinking is how did animals get from one place to another, right? How did they get to all these different islands and, and places? And so one of the ideas that has been brought up is these floating rafts of vegetation. And so they actually observed one recently um, in which it had monkeys on it near Columbia. Uh, and they've observed them in other places as well. I think you said there's one up in Michigan somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they do have these vegetative rafts that can support life on them. So these animals can get from one location to another. So they're saying that gives more credence to the idea that this could have happened. Yeah, well think about something like the Galapagos tortoises. Mm -hmm. Those things cannot swim. So how did they get to these islands that are 100 miles off the coast of Ecuador? And we have similar things in other island positions. Think about uh, the island of Madagascar, off the mm -hmm. coast of Africa, and Sri Lanka, off of India. All these different places where we find these animals. And there are these patterns where the animals on the mainland tend to match the animals that are out on these islands. And vegetation as and well. Vegetation right, not as just well. animals, but vegetation. So how do, all yeah. these, how do all these things match up, and how do we explain how they got there? Now, as biblical creationists, we have to be able to explain these mm -hmm. things as well yep. and understand how these things happen. So from the evolutionary perspective, they're looking at these things happening over the span of hundreds of millions of years. And in this article, they go to talk about how people originally didn't have the idea of a continental drift of the plates moving around and those things shifting and now they've added that into their explanation and thinking about how these mats could move and how there's historical examples of that. Uh, as we consider this from the biblical perspective, uh, we would look at all this transition happening just in the, the 1500 years or so since the flood and we would have to explain all of that transition in that time. And so you think about the flood and all of the vegetation that would have been ripped up from the original creation, there's a lot of opportunity for these giant mats of vegetation to be floating around. Um, animals could be still, even after they get off the ark and they're moving around, there's still lots of logs and things floating around. There's opportunities for them to be moving on those. We see ocean currents moving around. So there's this idea of these uh, floating log mats as a way for animals to be moving around has been part of that biblical model of animals moving to these distant islands uh, from very early years in the creation model. And they even talked a little bit about the land bridges in here, which mm -hmm. is also part of the creation model. You know, how do animals get to certain locations, either probably on some type of floating rafts, as we talked about, or mm -hmm. some type of land bridge that was exposed at that time because we had a colder era and we would have lots of glaciers mm -hmm. and there would have been less water in the ocean. And therefore, there would have been these exposed land bridges allowing these animals to move mm -hmm. uh, through the new continents that would have been created from the global flood. But a lot of evolutionists um, still find this idea of these floating rafts just preposterous right they're like there's no way this could be responsible 
for depositing these animals at different locations. Especially and, for something like monkeys moving from Africa to South America. Right. On that right. massive Because that's journey. pretty far, you know, yeah. and they're saying, I'm not sure how that could happen. And They said you know, it would take 14 weeks, they estimate, to yeah. get from Africa to South America. Right. So they would have to have wa fresh water and, and things like that on the mat. And so one of the arguments that a person who doesn't believe in this idea said, and I'm going to read this because this is classic, all right? We're told that what is impossible is made possible by millions of years. This is like saying that if we throw ourselves from windows for millions of years, maybe somebody can fly, piling up impossibilities and figuring that w what we end up with, that we, uh, that we end up with a possibility statistically makes no sense. Yeah! Yes. <laughs> Haven't we been saying this for many, many, many no. hours? Oh, years, I think, right? <laughs> I'm using that quote in the future. Because that this is the type of argument we've used for things like mutations adding up to create new genetic information and creating new organisms. It's the same type of logic that we've said doesn't work to explain molecules to man evolution. And here, this evolutionist is making the argument against his own worldview and he doesn't even realize it and they've published it for us and now we can yes, use it nice. against yeah. them. <laughs> because I mean they would say I mean they believe that dinosaurs evolved into birds so mm -hmm. they do believe that over millions of years that something that couldn't fly could then fly because it developed, mm -hmm. they evolved that ability. I mean, they actually believe that. And so this is, like we said, we, when we all read this, we're like, what? That's awesome. Like, they just said that, you know? And um, talking about this, which is much more plausible, mm -hmm. this idea, than the idea that, you know, again, mutations and all of this information could just be created out of nothing, basically, and give you these new organisms. So, yeah, so it's likely a combination of mats and land bridges, land bridges and yeah. people moving animals around lots of things involved in that in that transition and we have a great book if you want to learn more about this particular um, idea it is in our book a flood of evidence which is a great sort of Q&A on um, Noah's Ark and the flood so um, if you want to take home a good book talking about a lot of things that you saw uh, on the ark and here at the ark encounter today if you're joining us here in the studio audience this is a great book to um, just give you some information on that and hopefully if you haven't visited with us yet uh, this will help you learn more about it and make you want to come and see it, right? So, uh, so we are out of time for today, so we'll be back on Monday with more. See you then.